Hello, everyone, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today's story is titled The Owl's Understanding, and on the surface seems rather similar to The Sparrow and the Butterfly. In this one, an eagle bullies an owl for not being as cool as him, and the owl schools him in being totally go with the flow. This is another story that can be found in William Scott Wilson's translation of Isai Chozanchi's work, and can be found in the book titled The Demon's Sermon on the Martial Arts. Make sure to check out our reading list for a link to the book. So, let's get to the story. A hawk is talking to an owl, who bemoans the strange look and poor eyesight of the owl. At this time in Japan, owls were considered to be a kind of hawk. There's definitely a condescending tone coming from the hawk, and one has to wonder if his pity for the owl is feigned or real. The owl instead states that this is the nature given to him by the creator, and that he is the way he should be, no matter what others think. The owl says, If a person could pick physical freedom as he wished, would anyone choose to be handicapped in any way? That I look strange and have eyes that cannot see during the day is the nature allotted to me by heaven. So the translator, again William Scott Wilson here, quotes Kongza, better known in English as Confucius, from the Doctrine of the Mean, which says, What heaven commands is called our nature. The owl points out that a maggot lives in piles of dung and thinks it a palace. A snake with no legs or an earthworm with no eyes, one can see, yet both get along competently. Everything has its place in creation with food and lodging as is appropriate to their nature. The owl points out that his eyes that are weak in daylight are in fact perfect for night hunting, and though the other birds laugh at his strange shape, that means nothing. To quote, it's just being laughed at. Now I think there's a bit of the, what I would consider Stoic philosophy, reflected in the owl's understanding here. There is what he can control, and there is what he cannot control. Worrying about what he can control, and not worrying about what he cannot control, is at the heart of Epictetus's teachings. Um, there's a Greek philosopher commonly associated with the Stoic philosophy, who says, It's not things that upset us, it's our opinion about them that does. And Marcus Aurelius, in his ever-famous meditations, says, Choose to feel harmed, and you have been. Choose not to, and you haven't been. So the owl then relates how his state is beneficial in other ways if one were a different kind of bird. Every creature has its advantages and its disadvantages. The owl points out how a tree can be cut down and half made into something beautiful, and the other half made into something common and utilitarian, but that they are the same when considering the cutting down of a living tree. This reminds me of a verse from the Book of Romans from many centuries earlier in the Christian New Testament. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? End quote. Then in the story, another kind of hawk shows up and chimes in, apparently also feeling sorry for the owl for his strange appearance. This one also goes through a list of physical traits on the owl that this hawk considers to be inadequate. There seems to be an inordinate amount of judgy hawks in this story. So anyway, this new hawk goes on to list several other birds that it considers to be worse off than the owl, so at least he has that going for him. He then poses the question that maybe the owl is in such a pitiful state because of bad karma in a previous life. The owl replies, I don't know what the reason is, but even Lao Tzu said, there is a reality, men just give it a name. End quote. 
Again, the owl is simply stating that his nature is as it should be, and lamenting his state is a useless activity. Now, if you recall, uh, the transformation of the sparrow and the butterfly in earlier story was about change, past, present, or future. This story appears to me to be about one's current characteristics in reality. Again, the theme touches on being accepting of one's place in life. This may not necessarily be class-related, but seems to be related again to physical characteristics, particularly ones that are unchangeable, age and height come to mind. A silly example would be, no matter how much you want to be a unicorn, you'll never be a unicorn, and at best may become a human badly aping the idea of a mythological creature, a waste of time, effort, and a delusion. This is very much at odds with some narratives in our modern culture that says you can be whatever you want or whatever you can convince yourself you are. However, as it relates to martial arts, if and particularly the Japanese martial arts, if one really wants to be a samurai, there is a point where this becomes a delusion. Unless you were ethnically and genetically of Japanese origin and come from the right family that was originally of the Bushi class, and ignore the fact that the Meiji government abolished the Bushi class about 150 years ago, then maybe you can pretend hard enough that you're really a samurai. But sadly, at the end of the day, you won't actually be taken seriously by anyone and just be an adult playing a really hard game of make-believe. Now, don't take this as an argument against the emulation of cultural characteristics when training. When one trains ballet, one must wear a uniform appropriate for the practice, and no one thinks less of you for learning the proper French terms for the practice. Neither do I think less of a person for engaging in an appropriate level of respect for the cultural origin of a practice. History and culture give us context for understanding these things. It becomes a problem when we seek to be something other than ourselves. On a more practical level, in the martial arts, we are all very different. Some people are taller, shorter, stronger, weaker. It is not uncommon for me to see fellow students who can perform some techniques better or more efficiently than myself. If I sit around contemplating how much easier it would be for me to perform a technique if only my body was different, what have I gained myself? Nothing. It would be better to accept the unchangeable characteristics of my body, such as my height, for what it is, and train principles that match and harmonize with the characteristics of the body I currently have. Those may become different as my body changes, particularly as I grow older, some techniques that used to make a lot of sense may no longer be viable choices. If I'm unwilling to accept and recognize these truths, I invite injury, and potentially departure from training entirely, if I injure myself too catastrophically. Likewise, I once watched a training partner become frustrated because his legs were too short to perform a particular choke on me in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. No matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't get his legs into the right configuration to lock me in the choke. Now, he could have wished for longer legs, pining away at the cruelty of his lot in life to not be able to perform the technique the way others did. Instead, the instructor taught him a modified version that would work for his body type. He accepted that state that he was in and trained in accordance with the reality of it rather than trying to delude himself. Are there areas in your own training that you wish to be different? Perhaps you're not flexible or strong enough to do certain things. Those are both things that can be altered. You just have to work at it. It's just a matter of time and training. On the other hand, is there something immutable about yourself that you wish was different? Trying to change it is a waste of your time. Instead, find a way to work with or around it. If you need some inspiration, search online for Kyle Maynard. And then don't ever tell yourself excuses again. You really need to see what he's accomplished. 
Now, for the last point of the story, Chozanchi has addressed the nature of physical differences and how people can lament their own characteristics or choose to be like the owl. However, there is an important comment at the end that is worth digging into. The second judgy hawk that shows up poses the question that maybe the owl is in such a pitiful state because of bad karma in a previous life. This is a very important to consider. Ellis Amder, in a chapter titled Setsuninto Katsujinken, ponders this question. As an aside, Setsuninto can be translated the sword that takes life, and Katsujinken could be the sword that gives life. The terms are also a focus of the Heiho Kadensho, sometimes titled as the life-giving sword by Yagyu Mune Nori. This is a work we'll be visiting in future episodes. Mr. Amder's chapters about these terms is a reflection, a meditation on the idea that we can perceive our use of the martial arts for good or evil, and the depths of the complexity of this question. It's not as simple as it appears on the surface. You can read the entire chapter, either in his book, Dueling with Osensei, or at koryu.com. That's K-O-R-Y-U dot com. Check the show notes for a link to the article and our reading list if you'd prefer the book, which I highly recommend even if you are not a practitioner of Aikido. The Lessons of Mr. Amder's book applies to any martial artist. So, the hawk questions the owl's karma as a justification for the owl's so-called pathetic state. The owl says he doesn't know and quotes Lao Tzu, who is thought to have been the author of the Tao Te Ching. There is a reality. Men just give it a name. There is danger in attributing karmic retribution to suffering. After World War II, there was an explosion of Zen Buddhism coming from Japan to the West. However, prior to World War II, many of these same representatives of peace held the belief that the Jews must have had terrible karma to have had been experiencing the Holocaust. In one sense, then, the ideology of karma was used as justification for the expansion of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, and all the suffering that came with that. Do you see the danger here? Some contemporary social justice progenitors might call this victim-blaming, and in one sense it truly is. But there is something far more insidious here. In the acceptance of one's state as the quote-unquote will of heaven, as Chosanshi suggests, he also addresses the critical question of the hawk that perhaps it's the owl's fault that he has this state. The owl's response here is important enough that I'm going to quote it in its entirety. To begin, the owl said, I don't know what the reason is, but even Lao Tzu said, there is reality, men just give it a name. I can see that there's something strange about me, and that the small birds laugh at it, but this is not something I should abhor. Neither have I become especially pleased that I'm numbered among the 48 kinds of hawks. Men have probably named me a hawk because I catch and eat small birds. Yet, this is not something I should forcefully decline. It is the owl's appointed task to be laughed at because of men, naming it one of the hawks. The, men, the man who captures me will nurture me. One who is nurtured by man naturally has his work cut out for him. And shouldn't I return the favor just a little? End quote. Whether or not his state is the result of karmic retribution is pointless to consider. The owl completely skates by that question. Instead, he is bringing us back to that foundation of Stoic philosophy of considering what is within his control and what is not within his control. He's not going to worry about those things he cannot control. Instead, he will focus on what he can do with the traits and circumstances he has been given. Do you have any additional insights about the story that you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. 
send me an email at walkingwiththetengu at gmail.com. That's all one word, no spaces. That's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.